This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ, brought to you with support from our pals at Owner's Box with their new way to enjoy fantasy sports. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, a great follow at AJ Scholes24, based in beautiful Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, near Rotowire headquarters, right over there in Madison. AJ, we saw the first few trades of the near trade deadline period last week where the Sabres shipped Eric Stahl to Montreal for a third and a fifth round pick in the upcoming draft. And I think Stahl should certainly improve the center position. It's been a source of concern for the Canadians all season long in terms of a lack of scoring, I'll say. But I wonder if he really will actually help them after a brutal season that he has endured in Buffalo. We'll get into the Sabres' miseries in a little bit, too. His arrival may also push Paul Byron to the taxi squad, which is a a big development in Montreal. Second and third trades were involving the Los Angeles Kings. They acquired disturber Brandon Lemieux from the Rangers for a first fourth round pick yesterday. They, uh, yesterday they added the Chris Wolanin from the Senators for Michael Amadio, a defenseman for a forward in those deals. I think Los Angeles is fanning faint playoff hopes here, AJ, with those deals, but also tinkering with a bit of a retooling that they've accomplished on the fly. And I like some of the youngsters that they've infused there. So that's my slant on the Los Angeles situation. Montreal is a curious one for me, too, though. They've, they've strapped themselves against very tightly against the cap. And if their only addition is Eric Stahl at the deadline, I think Habs fans will have to be a little bit disappointed because uh, they are certainly fourth on merit in this division. And, and uh, it'll be tough for them to make noise against the other three that are vying for the first spot in that group. Well, yeah, I'll start. You know, obviously the the Wolan and uh, Amato deal, like four D swap. Neither guy is under contract next season. They're both going to be restricted free agents. So you get a look at a guy. If you like him, you give him a, a qualifying offer. If you don't, you let him hit free agency. So those are no risk moves for for me. Um, I, I do like the acquisition of Brendan Lemieux. I think long term from the from the Rangers side of that one, you know, you're looking at clearing a little bit of cap space. Uh, Lemieux not much is just one and a half, but obviously they're going to have, um, you know, some, some changes coming in the Rangers with all the, the youngsters they've been adding to the team. 
Um, so they're, they're going to have to do some finagling, you know, in the future. Look, they've got, you know, again, 1.25 million, not that much, but you've got Pavel Buchnevich needs a new deal. Uh, even Philip Trider, Brent Houghton, Julian Gauthier, Ryan Lindgren, you know, you, you've got a couple guys here, uh, Shesterkin, uh, that are going to need contracts. So I really don't think it's a, uh, a bad move for them. You get a little draft, uh, capital in it. And then, for the for the Canadians, look, this is a no risk move in my opinion. Yeah, Stahl's bad. He's not on the hook for him next year. And let's not forget the Habs already you know, they still have rather two picks in the third round and two picks in the fifth round from what they've acquired from other teams in the past. So, you know, they've got a first, they've got two in the second, still two in the third, three in the fourth, and still two in the fifth. So I mean they're not hurting for picks. So they basically gave up from a point of real like abundance uh, for, for a guy who, as you said, Paul, he could fix the center position here. No guarantees, obviously, but it's a, it's a low risk move for them for Buffalo. Uh, they didn't have a third or a fifth uh, round pick heading into next season. So they fill out that complement of options. Uh, interestingly enough, the, the third and the fifth round pick that the Sabres gave up were to acquire Jimmy VC. And Wayne Simmons, both of whom started this season for your Leafs. So uh, obviously those didn't pan out for Buffalo long term either. And another key development partner is uh, the fact that the trade uh, reduction, there's a reduction in the time period for the uh, players being traded across the border with the COVID situation, reducing it from the 14 days to seven days of isolation. We look forward to hoping that that will spur more activity at the trade deadline to be as as usually as busy as we've seen it in past years. I have my doubts about that still, AJ, because so many teams are really tight against the cap, so time will tell if we do see the usual flurry of activity at the trade deadline. And on today's episode, we were going we're gonna to try and highlight some more news and rumors about players that are being talked about, at least in trade rumors that I've seen at my end, and I'm sure you have at your end. But before we get into all of that weekly roster roundup that we do, AJ, please remind our listeners about Owner's Box. Hey, NHL fans, Owner's Box is here to reinvent the way you play fantasy sports this season. Owner's Box is not DFS. They're the first ever weekly fantasy sports platform that combines the best elements of the industry into one product. Owner's Box is a head-to-head elimination-style format It keeps players engaged through live snake drafts, social interaction, and a new layer of strategy that allows you to become the ultimate fantasy GM. The best part about weekly fantasy sports is that there's no long-term commitment. Users are able to draft a new team every single day and participate in different types of contests to keep the fantasy experience fresh and fun so you're never out of the game. Compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. No more falling subject to unfair payouts as up to 50% of users win money. Owner's Box also allows you to brand yourselves and yourself and engage socially across the platform in multiple different ways. Add friends, create custom leagues, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Think you've got what it takes to be a weekly fantasy guru? Head over to ownersbox.com and start making a name for yourself today. In honor of the NHL season, if you sign up free now, Owner's Box will match your first deposit up to $500. What are you waiting for? Head over to ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your bonus and join the new wave of fantasy sports. Okay, partner, this week you go first as we wind our way through each NHL roster with lineup and injury notes beginning in Anaheim. 
Yeah, obviously, you know, the biggest news for Anaheim is the continued absence of, of John Gibson here. You know, Ryan Miller uh, played in two games, got a win, five goals allowed. So certainly, uh, you know, holding his own in, in terms of, of what they're able to do. But let's not forget, this is uh, a goalie situation where there's not much in front of him. You know, um, but you definitely have to be concerned long term about the fact that, you know, Gibson missed uh, seven games, came back for one. And now he's back on the shelf for another uh, at least two, uh, if if not longer. So we'll have to continue to monitor that. So that's obviously a big concern in terms of guys that you can maybe look at for fantasy. You've got uh, Ryan Getzlaff had three assists last week. Uh, Jones had a goal and two assists. Silverberg two assists. But really. Let's be clear. This is not a team where you're going to find a lot of uh, a lot of things here for you. For the most part, it's going to be mostly, uh, you know, a couple of diamonds in the rough. And as I said last week, maybe Ryan Miller, if you're in a real goalie bind. And the uh, trouble with Anaheim situation is that Rickard Raquel is a guy that was talked about in some trade rumors that I've been hearing, AJ, for teams looking for a, a top six forward. He got hurt, and uh, there, there's no real concrete news about how long he's going to be out, but that may take a bite out of his, his trade value going forward. So keep an eye on that situation and his health. When you look at how to build your lineups, there's no better resource, resource than the one that AJ works on for a living on a daily basis, and that's at Rotowire with the depth charts that we update constantly. And so we'll keep an eye out for Raquel's status as a bunch of other guys who had some injury notes assigned to them very recently. In Arizona, this is a club that's battling for a playoff spot, still fifth in the West. They had a nice week, 3-1 and one, uh, all told. And Aiden Hill has stepped into the breach in terms of the net mining situation because they have their share of goaltending injuries as well. He started three games, won them all, and allowed a total of six goals against, so he certainly, certainly did his part. And uh, Phil the Thrill Kessel had a big week, five goals and two assists to lead all shooters in the NHL. This guy, he performs well on some bad teams. I saw him play for the Leafs when they were struggling. He was their signature player. He got two cups in Pittsburgh and was a good complimentary guy. It just seems that wherever he goes, if you want offense, he's the guy that, that you can look to to provide it. He's doing it and have a fine year again out in the desert. Christian Dvorak has been a line mate of his, and he's along for the ride with two goals and one helper. Clayton Keller with a goal and four assists as well. Oliver ekman Larson starting to ramp up his game, too, offensively, and he picked up four more points. This guy's one of the better power play quarterbacks in the league still. Uh, and and uh, then they got another couple of other guys that are chipping in an offense. Lawson Kraus finally starting to look like the high draft pick that he, he was uh, when he was picked uh, by the club a few years ago. And Alex Goligoski's had a tr- struggling year offensively. AJ finally dialed back a little bit into his repertoire, picking up three points for himself. But I want to talk about uh, Connor Garland. Uh, I can't believe that this guy's being talked about as a possible trade piece too. To me, he's an agitator with good hands, and, and he's had a decent year in terms of scoring. I can't believe that... that uh, the the Coyotes would distance themselves from the, this guy. He's going to be a restricted free agent if he doesn't uh, get traded. So the, they still have control of him. I I would hesitate to to dangle a guy like this because I think he could be a key piece of of their resurgence when they do uh, take the next step up in class. Nicholas Yalmerson is another guy that could be a trade piece, but he's on the IR right now with an upper body injury. So those are two guys that are in the news. But uh, you wonder if either that one of them will be moved. Another 
injury note, Johan Larsson, who's played some top six minutes here recently, suffered a head injury on Saturday, and his status going forward is a little uncertain as well. If there's a team that's uh, ready and able to make a bad trade decision, it's certainly Arizona. So <laughs> Connor Garland could uh, be, you know, on the hook there. You know, though it, it's a double-edged sword, right, Paul? You you talk about, you know, Garland will be an RFA, so it's not like they have to worry about losing him. So why would you trade him? On the flip side, he's going to be an RFA, so a team uh, that you trade him to would put more value on that compared to trading away a UFA. Uh, so, you know, it's they could get more value out of it be, because of that. So certainly something to, to consider there. But I agree. I, I personally wouldn't be trying to move him. But, uh, you know, as, as it seems to always be the case, there's new leadership, new management in Arizona that might want to go in a, a different direction. The other concern for me is obviously the goaltending situation. Darcy Kemper on IR. Antti Ranta has joined him as well. So you're down to really just Aiden Hill. Or, uh, you know, 2018 fourth-round pick Ivan Protsov, uh, who's never played in an NHL game. Uh, he is 5-3 and three this year in, in the AHL with, with the Roadrunners. Okay numbers, but nothing to wow you. So uh, it's going to be a lot of Aiden Hill going down the stretch, and, and that's certainly a concern for them. Uh, in Boston, there's plenty of concerns there as they continue to be bombarded by uh, COVID absences. They still are without Jake DeBrus, Brad Marchand, uh, Sean Corrali, Andre Kasha is injured. Uh, they haven't gotten Brandon Carlo out. Tuka Rask isn't going to be back at all this week, they said. So they're really uh, got, have got a skeleton squad going here. Now, of course, they still have Patrice Bergeron and David Pasternak, so I'm not suggesting that there's no uh, tools left on this team. Uh, but there's a reason they went 1-1-1 one, one, and one last week and have dropped to fourth in the East. Uh, fortunately for Boston fans, you know, as you mentioned off the top, the Flyers have been struggling a little bit. Or actually, I think you and I mentioned that off air. Uh, the Flyers have been struggling a little bit. So fortunately for Boston, they haven't found themselves further uh, down the list here. Yeah, that's right. And you're going to know that Boston just getting going to cruise into a playoff spot. And I'd hate to be the first place team and thinking, oh, we got a probably going to get a soft first round opponent. Then you look across the ice and you see the the spoke to be uh, on the sweater and you think oh we're in for it <laughs> so it's going to be a very interesting stretch run for a number of teams in uh, across the league but the Bruins I think can put it in cruise control for a little while and still make it very comfortably one team that can't wait for the season to end quite frankly is the Buffalo Sabres and AJ I told you off air I've been spending a lot of time watching the North Division almost exclusively but I did tune in when I saw the Sabres leading that game I thought oh finally the Sabres going to win a game they were up three nothing and then I watched the collapse and it was absolutely stunning uh my heart goes out to the Sabre fans Sabre fans that I know who are friends of mine this team is now winless in 18 games and counting the longest streak that I can remember maybe the longest streak ever in hockey we'll have to check that one but uh tough times for the Sabres Dustin Tokarski is trying to do uh, heroic things in that he played all three games last week allowed 12 goals against but he's moved to the taxi squad they're anticipating Carter Hutton being healthy enough to take a run of games and uh, the goaltending situation might straighten around a little bit that might be the best part of the club and we thought that it was a big weakness of the club at the beginning of the season but that just tells you how everything else has collapsed 
Taylor Hall, I can't believe this guy, uh, looking like a skeleton out there, uh, a ghost. You can hardly notice him unless you look hard for that number four. I don't know what management tries to do with him over here. He's a, certainly a guy that they would have to try and move at the trade deadline to salvage something for his value because he's going to escape as a free agent as well at the end of the season. This is a period of evaluation for the skaters. And uh, they certainly need an upgrade in that. I mean, I said that was maybe the best part of the team right now, but that's damning with faint praise. Uh, there's nothing of value uh, back there, in my opinion, to rank those, either of those two guys among the top 20 goalies in the NHL. So tough times and a real tough landscape in Buffalo uh, at the moment. All right, Paul, I dug it up for you real quick. So it is currently tied for longest uh, losing streak in NHL history with the 2003-2004 Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, they After that season, uh, so that has turned their fortunes around. But the Penguins in 03-04 were the last team to put up an 18-game losing streak. So uh, Buffalo, with uh, their next game, can set a record. At least there's something for, for Sabres fans to look to. They can set a record of, of some kind. Uh, should be noted, it's also the longest streak uh, since shootouts were introduced in, in 05, 06. So um, not a not a good situation to be in, obviously. Uh, in Carolina, things are certainly, uh, you know, cruising along for them. They're in a heated battle for positioning in that uh, that central division, currently sitting in second after a three-and-o week. Alex Nedeljkovic got two uh, starts, two goals allowed uh, in that stretch. Uh, Paquette producing for them. Pesci, certainly, uh, you know, things things still rolling for them. I think the one uh, consideration is what do they do if and when Morazic comes back? You know, Nato Djokovic has been perfectly fine. I think he's, you know, figures to be the goaltender of the future for them, considering the other guys are a little over the hill. So do they move James Reimer? Does anybody want James Reimer is an important question as well. And when you consider how, uh, you know, how well they did the last season, that's been without Vincent Trocek, who uh, appears to be nearing a return. So they're going to get, you know, their own little bit of uh, pre-trade deadline addition, if you will, simply by getting Vinny Trocek back in the lineup. On the flip side, uh, Tivo Teravainen hasn't really made any progress. So at this point, it's, I think it's fair to wonder uh, when, uh, or if we'll see him back during the regular season as we get closer and closer uh, to, to the postseason. Yeah, the goaltending situation is a pretty interesting one for me, AJ. You mentioned Reimer might be a guy that's available at the trade deadline. I wonder if the Maple Leafs take a look at him as a backup guy behind Jack Campbell. That's all predicated on Freddie Anderson's uncertain status. We'll get to, into that a little bit later, but I do expect Reimer will draw some interest from around the league, an experienced guy who has had a pretty fine season over there in Carolina and is one of the nicest guys you'll ever want to meet. I know that firsthand, uh, having had several interactions with him during his time in Toronto. In Calgary, the Flames are fifth in the North Division, but fading. They went one and three last week, but Noah Hannafin is a guy that I've been watching for a few weeks now, AJ, if people who have been following our pod uh, take notice. I've been touting his offensive game finally coming to the fore, and he added three assists to his uh, account uh, He's, he's had consistent numbers in uh, on offense in the last few weeks, and I've been watching their games. He's getting more involved in the attack and the power play, especially giving him, giving him an opportunity to get a nice run there. Backlund and Monaghan chipping in with a couple of assists each, but really the goal scoring is down here. When you're talking about a couple of assists, uh, 
from those two guys leading the attack, you know there's not much of an attack going on. They got to get some guys with multiple goal scoring. Certainly, Johnny Gaudreau is a guy that has been in the line of fire for the new head coach Sutter, who has taken pot shots at the guy saying uh, he, Gaudreau was coming up on his 500th game last week, and all that the coach would say was, "I hope he has a better effort than his 499th game." So that was another one, damning with faint praise, if you will. One thing that the Flames have going for them is that they have no real injury issues, a rarity this late into a regular season for any club around the league and uh, another veteran that I haven't have time for on this club is uh, Mark Giordano three goals in in the last six games for the captain he's playing a lot of minutes again I thought that he was had taken a step back earlier in the season but uh, he's really ramped up his game and and been central to any chance of success these guys have had I mentioned Gaudreau not producing with only three goals and no assists in his last 10 games played he's got to turn around if there's one guy who's looked better of late uh, surprising note Milan Lucic is that man five points in his last eight games played seems poised to thrive under uh, a demanding coach who appreciates the physical game so good for him for taking advantage of that situation in the Nets Markstrom has fallen off his earlier season form AJ allowing 12 goals in his last six starts with a, a lousy 882 save percentage in that stretch and that's really hurt this club more than anything oh absolutely you know I think the the they have to at least consider giving uh, Riddich a, a few more looks. You know, his one outing in the last week uh, gave up, you know, two goals on 24 shots, a, a pretty decent performance by him in their only win for the last week. So I, I, I think they have to at least consider giving him a few more looks there. Uh, in Chicago, things continue to be a, a dogfight for them. They're currently sitting fifth in the standings. Um, but certainly capable, I think, at least, of, of tracking down uh, that spot. They're actually tied with Nashville in points, so it's going to right now come down to tiebreakers. Uh, and, and one guy who's not going to want to leave it up to chance like that is Patrick Kane, who continues to roll uh, a goal and five helpers in their last four games. Pius Sutter with three goals and two assists. DeBrincat with two goals and two assists as well. So they're getting plenty of offense from the forwards. If you want to be picky about it, you could point to the fact that they haven't gotten any real scoring from the D of late. Uh, you know, Connor Murphy, two assists, Adam Bachwist, one assist. So you'd like a little bit more from somebody on the back end. But I think things are going, uh, you know, moderately okay. Uh, they're going to hope that Lakenen can get back to maybe being uh, the form he was earlier in the month or, or really, uh, you know, before March. Um, and, and then obviously – as soon as possible, you know, they've got Kirby Doc back. He made his season uh, Saturday and, and played again on Sunday. Not a lot to show for those first two games, but they put him into the power play right away, and I think he'll start to get rolling here and definitely a player that I'll be looking at in terms of, of DFS options. You know, you mentioned Patrick Kane off the top. What a season he's having. When you boil down that situation, he's bringing a lot of kids along in his wake and still right there in terms of the scoring leadership for the league. I hope he gets a lot of support for MVP uh, votes uh, when it comes time for the Hart Trophy. Uh, I can't say enough about what he's done this year for that club. 
Columbus, they're looking for a hero uh, over there. They're sixth in the central and fading. They were 0-3-1 last week. Boone Jenner led the attack with a pair of assists. So, you know, again, this is another spot where goal scoring has been an issue in the last uh, week or two. We've talked uh, at length about a downturn in fortunes for Max Domi, who's shot blanks now in his last five games and has only 12 points and a minus 14 in 36 games played here. And then uh, Patrick Liney, who has only two assists in his last Eight games played, a minus 12 in 27 games played overall this season. These guys were supposed to be the new leaders here, but they're doing anything but that at the moment. On the plus side, Jack Roslavic, who was basically a throw-in in the deal, that involved a line ace transfer he has 21 points in 29 games so far in his new digs in columbus so he is at least one guy who's returning some nice dividends uh Jonas corpusalo is injured again with a lower body hurt this time the stats also say why he's off his form that he showed last week no wonder this team is struggling the goaltending was a big strength of the club last year and it's faltered a little bit with the injury woes that corpusalo has endured uh one of the names that's being bandied about uh, in terms of trade possibilities, a couple of them actually, N- Nick Foligno and Dennis, uh, David Savard, forward and a defenseman, with both with experience. Foligno would bring uh, some physicality to a club that's lacking. Uh, great fit. Again, I'll put up the the whispers that I've heard locally that Toronto is interested in his services. I, I would love to see a, a line with featuring him and Wayne Simmons to keep the opposing team with their head up all game long. That's a, certainly something that Toronto club needs. That's two leaf references so far. The AGM, we even got to them. I'm on a roll today. I, I'm sorry about that. I'm, I'm stealing your thunder because normally you do this with Pittsburgh, but I'm going to do it with the least <laughs> for a little bit here. David Savard, a serviceable defenseman as well. He's had some power play experience in the past, so if a team is looking for for insurance in that regard, they could do a lot worse than picking up the veteran rear guard off Columbus. So I expect the, the Jackets could be one of the active teams in terms of selling at the play at the trade deadline. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I wouldn't wor- uh, rule out potential deals for, for even a guy like R- Riley Nash. Um, you know, he's obviously not, uh, you know, not a main contributor. He's not going to garner a huge piece, but he is going to be a UFA at the end of the year. And if somebody wanted to bolster their bottom six a little bit. Uh, he's certainly a candidate for that as well. Uh, in in Colorado, two uh, zero and two last week. So you know, not exactly uh, steamrolling teams like they're they're used to, but uh, they didn't suffer any regulation losses. So they at least picked up a point in every one of those games, and they're going to need it uh, if they want to be on top here in in terms of the West Division. It's uh, you know, I think it's going to be a, a two. A two-horse race here between those two clubs for the top. You know, Minnesota has been playing well and, and is certainly in the mix. But uh, I think the number one spot with the potential to face St. Louis, who struggled a little bit this year, Arizona. Look, there, there's no going to be, there's not going to be any easy matchups in the first round of the playoffs. That's uh, for sure. But I think I'd rather face potentially St. Louis or Arizona uh, than Minnesota at this point. So. I, I think these two teams are really going to go right to the end in terms of the number one spot. Uh, you know, if you want, again, if you want to find something that's maybe not going great for this club, you look at who's produced of late uh, for the abs. Yes. You love to see four goals out of Jonas Donskoy and, and Belmar getting two goals. But I think you're, you're also maybe going to have a little bit of concern when you're not getting things out of, out of some other guys who, who you've counted on in terms of, you know, Burkowski, just one assist the last couple of games. Um, you know, it, it's, 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 you know, it's, uh, 
you know, picking at tiny little things with a team that's going this well, because there's not much bad to say about this club right now. And, and they're going to continue to find ways to win uh, and, and really have one of the best built lineups, in my opinion, uh, in the league right now. And one of the teams that was uh, expected to be much better than they've shown is the Dallas Stars, AJ. They're ranked seventh in the Central Division with a record of 1-2-1 and one last week. Uh, it's injuries galore that have hampered this club and kept it from being as good as they were last year when they went all the way to the Cup Final. Uh, in terms of the net mining, Ottinger is the name of, of reference. Two game starts, one win, six goals against for the youngster as he's trying to fill a void. And uh, really, they've struggled all season long in that situation. Kudobin was handling the load, but he's been a career backup and finally wore down a little bit to create this opportunity. We know Bishop's been out all season. Rupe Hintz having a fine offensive season, two goals and three assists for his ledger. Uh, Robertson is a guy who's been a sneaky good DFS value play of the last few weeks, two goals and two assists for him. Hanley chipping in with two assists. Trouble is that uh, more injury news here. Joel Joel Kivaranta found his way to the IR last week with a lower body injury. Won't return until at least next week, adding to a number of key hurts on the ledger. Uh, Radulov's out with a lower body. He's back at practice, though, and should be able to return to the lineup soon. That's a big addition to a guy who I think is part of the leadership of this group. So while his offensive production's on pace for his first two seasons as a pro, I haven't noticed... Heiskanen on the back end as as much as I had in the past, AJ. We used to talk about this guy every week, but I can't remember the ref, last reference to, to this uh, youngster on the back end. So I wonder if that's more of a reflection of team fortunes than his own play. And I wonder what you think about that. Well, speaking of guys we haven't really talked about much, you have to look no further uh, than Jamie Benn. I mean, he's got no goals in his last seven games, just one, uh, one assist over that stretch. And, and really just, you know, not producing at all. And really, it's been a number of seasons that he hasn't, you know, last year. Yes, things were kind of cut short, but he had 39 points in 69 games. That's not really what you're looking for out of a guy that, you know, in, in previous seasons, you look back 2015-16, he's got 41 goals, uh, 30 goals a, a handful of times uh, here. So uh, really underwhelming, just five goals on the year. Uh, and, and you have to wonder if they're going to maybe consider, uh, trying to find a way to move on from him. It's not going to be easy given his contract situation, but is he helping more than he's hurting right now? And I think the answer, when you consider he's on the hook for nine and a half million for another four seasons after this one, he's hurting, he's hurting more than he's helping at this point. I don't know how you get that contract off the books, who you're willing, uh, able to swindle into taking Jamie Ben at this point, uh, but it's certainly something that they need to discuss because his his play on the ice has not been worth keeping around. Speaking of a team whose play on the ice hasn't been worth keeping around, that's the Detroit Red Wings, <laughs> who, as expected, are eighth in the Central. They're dealing, you know, a team that's already uh, you know not uh, really stocked with talent has had a couple more guys unavailable. Bobby Ryan uh, has been out of the lineup. Uh, just recently a little banged up with a, a, an upper body injury. And then you've got uh, Jonathan Bernier picks up an injury as well. He's expected to practice soon, but has missed their last five games. So you have a, a few guys who are maybe uh, on, you know, on the top half of, of that team in terms of production are, are missing there. And uh, I, I don't know what else to say about this club these days, Paul, they're, they're right up there with Buffalo 
looking for the season to end and to, to see what they can do in the offseason to try and get back to being one of the storied franchise in the NHL. They just aren't that anymore and, and haven't been for, for a couple of years here. Well, and you got to feel for a guy like Thomas Grice, AJ. I mean, the guy plays two games, allows five goals against. That's a 2.5 goals against average. Most goalies will take that for a season long. He didn't register a win. Meanwhile, Kevin Picker, Calvin Pickard plays three games and gets two wins, allowing a total of six goals against. So once again, it's the other goalie that's picking up all the victories here. Grice is looking around at Bernier, who has a winning record, actually, which is stunning. And then Pickard comes in from, from the depth charts and gets two more wins and grace i think barely has a handful of wins on the season himself i think he's up to four uh, on the year so he must be looking around going man oh man have i gotta find a a four-leaf clover or something to change my my luck but uh, detroit's mired in eighth place as we expected they would but uh, i think there is a glimmer of hope they've got some structure on their back end with christian juice patrick nemeth and danny DeKaiser all chipping in offensively last week with a pair of assists each and uh, the scoring has been distributed of late, uh, better of late, because Dylan Larkin is back in the fold. And boy, you play without your leader for a long time; it's going to hurt any team. But with a, a cellar dweller like the Wings, they absolutely need, need their on ice leader to be there. And uh, Larkin, at least, is back in the fold, so that's a positive. I got a look at the Edmonton Oilers in the last few days, AJ, and uh, they had a, a quiet week last week, tie, losing in overtime against the Leafs on Saturday and then winning last night. Uh, so while they only played the one game last week, that game did tell me a number of stories. Yes, they do have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, who are 1-2 in league scoring. Yes, they have two quality offensive D-men and Darnell Nurse and Tyson Berry, who continues to thrive here. But an aging Mike Smith in goal, despite the fact that he's playing heroically, is is a, a question for me. And look at the offense. They only tallied 20 shots on goal uh, barely 20 shots on goal in each of the two games against Toronto, which is not known as a stifling uh, defensive checking system. So I'm a little concerned about the fact that the Oilers can't get much out of, out of the rest of their lineup. Certainly Ryan Nugent Hopkins is trying to do his part, looking good enough to produce six points in his last eight games. That's decent. But uh, that's and that's allowed number 87 and 29 to to play together on the top line. So that's a key development there. But look at the veterans like Neil Ennis and Tourist. Tourist had one go off his knee last night to snap a long scoreless uh, drought for him. But these guys are way down on the depth chart, sometimes as low as fifth. Uh, line status but uh, last night at least tourists got in the game and did reward get, get rewarded finally but I don't think his luck is going to change or he's going to go on a tear anytime soon and uh, they need more from the foot soldiers here than they're getting to be relevant in this division when playoff time rolls around well we talked about this heading into the season that uh, you know goaltending was the weakest point of this club now we we have said good things about Mike Smith during parts of the season but as you pointed out He's one of the oldest players in the league right now. And, you know, playing this kind of schedule, um, you know, maybe the time off that they had this last week will will benefit him uh, more than anybody else. And you have to wonder, are they going to find a way to move, you know, Turris, Ennis and or Neil uh, at the deadline here? You know, maybe they could look at uh, a James Reimer to come in and, and take over here give up a, a kind of depth guy to, to Carolina that, that they're not using. Cause you're right. They've got uh, these veteran guys who just aren't, you know, in the lineup every night. And, and that certainly has to be a concern in Florida. Obviously the concern will be about Aaron Ekblad, who is done for the year after suffering a broken leg. 
Uh, that's a that's a tough injury for them, especially when you consider he was one of their top producers last week with with a goal and an assist in, in their last four games. You don't replace a player like that on their blue line. So while uh, you know Keith Yandel, Anton Strawman will will probably see more ice uh, along with you know Marcus Nutavara, that nobody that they have there is going to replace Aaron Ekblad. I don't think it makes them. Uh, look at D necessarily in terms of bolstering because they do have uh, a pretty decent group there. Um, but you know, maybe they try and swing for the fences is, I don't know how they could afford it. So I'm just throwing this out there in terms of a offensively minded guy who might be available, but could they bring in uh, PK Subban? I, I don't know. I, you know, I haven't dove into the numbers enough to see if there's a way to work that, um, you know, or maybe, uh, you know, somebody else out there in, uh, from Buffalo, Ristolainen has been rumored to be out for a while. So I, I could see them doing something to try and help the defense, but I don't think they have to necessarily with the group that they have. Um, but certainly they're, they are not better for having Aaron Ekblad out of the lineup. That's for sure. Yeah, they, they have some cap space, but I don't know if you go and swing as big as you suggested for Subban, but a lesser guy certainly could be fit in there, and there are some so there are some choices. So that where, that's where they might go hunting. I like their offense here. It's really taken shape, and the, the fact that Owen Tippett is finally rounding to, into form as a pro is helping them. He picked up three points last week, and I thought he looked good in the game action that I did check in on. The Los Angeles Kings, we talked about a couple of deals they made. They're trying to stay relevant in the West. They're 0 and 2 on the week last week, sixth right now is the placing. Gabriel Velarde with two assists is a guy that has developed one of the youngsters that we've talked about fairly regularly on the season. Uh, his offensive game is rounding into form, and he's looking like a fit as a pro on a top six situation here. So they got to get more pieces like him. Jared Anderson Dolan is another guy who impressed before his undisclosed injury, and he's back playing second-line center minutes with one assist in his last four games played. He has to do better than that, but we'll give him a mulligan since he's come back on from injury. Uh, another name that I'm hearing in trade talks is Alex Iafalo. I can't believe that L.A. would part ways with him another youngster who has really uh, developed his game over the last couple of seasons as a top six forward initially I thought he was miscast there but he's fooled me and proved me wrong playing steadily in that role and performing very well offensively on the season to date so I I again wonder why his name is coming up I I don't think LA should pivot when they develop a guy as well as he is turning into Cal Peterson is another guy that looks like the real deal in the nets he's outplayed Jonathan Quick of late getting five of the last seven starts and only allowing 10 goals against in those five outings. So good for him for for taking on uh, an opportunity with the departure of a guy who's now toiling in Toronto. We'll talk about him a little bit later. But Jonathan Quick has had an injury-plagued season to open that door in L.A. We've talked about the older players who continue to be productive here, uh, with the exception of Jeff Carter. He snapped a seven-game goalless streak last week. It was only a sixth tally in 32 games. That's way below his career norm. And if they really want to fan their faint playoff hopes, he's another guy that has to get rolling for them. Well, I'll throw out another outrageous suggestion. Again, I don't have uh, trade rumors that, that I'm looking at here, but what about them moving Jonathan Quick? I mean, if they think Cal Pedersen's the real deal, uh, they've got kind of a, a standard uh, bearer kind of backup guy in, in Troy Grosnick available behind uh, Cal Pedersen. Quick's contract, yes, he has two more years on it, but it's relatively manageable at 5.8. It's not like he's 
you know, carrying a Carey Price or a Mark Andre Fleury style deal that's that's harder to move. Um, I, I don't think it's an outrageous idea. Now, uh, a huge goalie trade like that is probably not something that's going to happen right here at the deadline, especially when you consider. Uh, you know, you're probably trading for a goalie that might not be able to play for a couple of days, but uh, maybe in the off season, they, they at least consider it and ponder their options. Cause if they think Cal Patterson's the way to go, uh, then I don't know that you want to be paying Jonathan quick 5.8 million to serve as your backup on, on a rebuilding team. So I have no trade rumors on that one. It's just me throwing out ideas <laughs> on what they could do. Well, I like that one, AJ. So uh, we'll see how that develops. But what about the Minnesota club? What do you think? What do you see over there for them? Well, I see a team that went 3-0 and last week, led by Jared Spurgeon with, with two goals and one assist, uh, Carson Soucy, and a team that's got, uh, you know, everything kind of working okay for them right now. There, there's some injury concerns uh, in terms of, you know, Marcus Foligno, Andrew Hammond, and more depth guys there that aren't going to, uh, you know, really uh, sink you if you don't have them uh, available. Kaprasov continues to be in the consideration for, for Calder, uh, absolutely. And I think one of the guys competing with him uh, is still Capo Kakinen. I know we've seen, uh, you know, he had maybe a, a tough outing and has been riding the bench for a few games. Uh, in fact, their last four games after giving up six to, to the avalanche, but how many guys around the league have given up five or six goals to the Colorado avalanche in the last number of years? It's hard to really hold that against the guy. Uh, Cam Talbot, uh, I think is, is having a resurgence. We've talked about him a bunch this season. Uh, he's in those four games that, that he's been playing all the way, no regulation losses. So three, three wins and then uh, an overtime loss last night. So he continues to, to at least get them a point here or there. And it's, he's playing at a level that you can't take him out right now. At least that's, that's my opinion. And, and, and this team should continue to thrive with either one of these netminders and, and, you know, go into the season. Like I said, I'd rather be playing fourth in the West than have to match up with this Minnesota team. And speaking of fourth, the Montreal Canadiens are fourth in the North. They didn't play any games last week owing to their own issues with COVID, and uh, they made a trade last week. We talked about it. I wonder if more moves are possible. Certainly the big news uh, around this club is Cole Caulfield, who tore up the U.S. hockey this year, AJ, and uh, he finished strong in the Final Four, though his team was eliminated before the finals. How long will it be before he joins the Habs? Well, I figure they, he's going to go through a 14-day quarantine. That's been agreed upon already. Some AHL seasoning will be a part of that as well. He fully expects to make his debut with the Laval Rocket very soon. They also, as you mentioned, still have 12 picks in the upcoming seven rounds of the NHL draft, but are limited in terms of trade flexibility going forward because they're so close to the salary cap. They can't take on a lot of money without moving a lot of money out. So any future deals, we'll have to see even money going out as well as coming in. They have some news in the infirmary that they've dodged most of the season, but Tyler Toffoli's out with a lower body injury. He happens to be their leading goal scorer for a team that sometimes is challenged in that regard. That's a huge loss. Jesperi Kotkaniemi is coming out of the COVID protocol, we understand, but Yoel Armia is still there, and so their uh, their roster will be in flux until those two guys do return to the fold. But 
they should be cleared to play fairly soon, I think. The, the truth of it is, in North Division, AJ, we already know the teams that are going to make the playoffs because Calgary and Vancouver have started to fade, so Montreal has plenty of time to get things figured out. They have a whole host of games in hand on other teams as well. That could be a factor down the stretch, AJ, because they figure to be the busiest team in the league trying to make up for some of the games they've lost. I think they're going to be playing better than a game every second day, so it's going to be uh, crunch time for the Habs, and they're going to, you're going to probably see them sit some of their veterans when, when there's a cluster of these games come up, so you might see a guy like Shea Weber take a, take a seat uh, the odd night to get some rest in during this grueling period for the Canadians. Just had to mention that Caulfield's uh, uh, NCAA team didn't make the Final Four, didn't you, Paul? I didn't see who they were, who they were, AJ. <laughs> didn't want to hurt you too bad. <laughs> uh, for those of you that, that are listening that don't know what we're talking about, Caulfield, a University of Wisconsin product, they had a, a, a terrible game, let's be blunt about it, that saw them eliminated from the tournament. Uh, but you know what? Here in Wisconsin, we still have the Lady Badgers who uh, clinched their seventh uh, title in program history. So uh, a little women's hockey, a little college hockey talk here for you. In New Jersey, this is a team that's not going to be an easy out. They, they went 2-2 two and two last week despite being seventh in the East. Uh, and, and I think they're, they're playing uh, pretty decent hockey, all things considered. Um, and, and they're not going to let you just walk all over them. Ty Smith has four assists over the last week. Uh, and, and Yanni Kukunen, uh three assists, Jasper Bratt, one goal and two assists. So they're getting some decent production out of guys. I think this team would be that much harder to play if they had Nico Heischer in the lineup right now. He has started uh, to, to do some work after suffering that sinus fracture, but I, I doubt he's going to be back this week. I would expect maybe another week or two for him. I think this is a team that will be sellers here uh, heading in into the deadline, but there's plenty of pieces here that, that I think are definitely going to be off limits. And, and that could, uh, you know, uh, you know, make it uh, not as attractive as to what they're, they're offering and, and willing to sell because they have some youngsters and, and things are looking up in certain, uh, you know, places in this roster. Yeah, and one of those guys for me, AJ, is Ty Smith. We've been talking about this guy week after week. He's he's showing an offensive game that reminds me a little bit of Brian Rafalski, another guy who was uh, on the smaller side. Ty Smith is 5'11", so not a tiny guy by any, any means, but you expect big bruisers on the blue lines when you're thinking about the Devils. He just doesn't fit that mold, but more of Rafalski, uh, Niedermeyer scoring type if uh, if older fans remember those two guys. So uh, a guy worth mentioning there. Yanni Kukunen, three assists as well as another guy who's developed his game uh, steadily during the course of this season. Uh, players to watch is part of the New Jersey rebuild going forward. Nashville sits fourth in the Central Division, AJ. They're in a dogfight for that playoff spot. They went 4-0. They're currently on a five-game win streak. UC Saros backstopping them in three of those games with a total of two goals against. No wonder he got three wins there. But he was out on Sunday with an undisclosed injury, and I wonder if you have more information on that while I go through the rest of my notes on this club. Rocco Grimaldi led all scores along with Kessel with five goals from his bottom six right wing role. Matthew Olivier had two goals as well, so some uh, some depth scoring coming to the fore in Nashville. Tolvanen is a guy we've talked about in the last couple of weeks as a scoring line winger. He's doing well, again, with a goal and three helpers. Uh, Kunin with three assists as well. 
Michael Grandland is helping his alleged trade value as, uh, in addition, AJ. Uh, there's rumors, again, linking him to a couple of teams in the North Division. He tallied three goals in his last four games played as a center on the second line. While Matt Duchesne is still expecting to miss some time on the IR, uh, Grandland will get more reps there, it seems. And it was revealed last week that Ryan Ellis, a stalwart, a minute eater on the blue line here, has been out for 11 games. He actually had a surgery that we uh, don't have many details on. But it will keep him out for another couple of weeks, it seems. He's back skating, but there's really no timetable for his return. I would imagine that the, the Nashville club would welcome him back in a big hurry to help their playoff run. Yeah, this team's playing injury stuff pretty close to the vest here. We don't even have really a good idea with Saros at this point, if it's upper body, lower body, uh, or, or what kind of ailment uh, is affecting him here. So that is certainly... Um, a big question mark, uh, you know, when you consider the news, as you said, Ryan Ellis, uh, not a lot of details about uh, undergoing surgery. Um, you know, we again, upper body, no, no clear information there. So it's hard to say, but uh, I think it's going to come down to. To Pekka Rene here for of making the postseason. Evening streak himself, although he's been over that stretch uh and and look if there's a guy around this league that i think could still offer very good uh value and and steal you a, a series or two in the in the postseason i i think Pekka Rene probably still has something uh left in the tank here on long island uh a two and one week for them anthony bolivier three goals and one assist wallstrom two goals uh, Jean Gabriel Pajot, who we seem to talk about every single week, five points as well. But the big news for them is Anders Lee is going to be done for the year after undergoing ACL surgery. And let's be clear. I mean, you, you look to next season, uh, you're talking about right now, this minute, we're six months away from the end of September. So right as the season would potentially start, I, I think there needs to be some questions as to whether he'll even be available for the start of next season. Um, you know, rehab has changed over the last several years as, and guys have been able to come back quicker and quicker from a lot of these uh, ACL surgeries. But I think a reasonable expectation is six to nine months in terms of full recovery. And that would have him missing a good chunk of next season. So that's certainly a big concern beyond just the impact uh, for, for this year with, with Anders Lee. And you talk about his impact. Well, in his absence, a guy like normally a third or fourth liner, Leo Komarov, is listed as first line left wing. So beyond Beauvillier, they really ha- are challenged scoring-wise on the port side, and that might be an area that they'll look to upgrade at the upcoming trade deadline. New York Rangers are sixth in the East Division with a 2-2 two and two record on the week. They are in tough in terms of contending for a playoff spot. We know that, but the rebuild has continued on the fly, and uh, another team that has injuries in the nets uh, has been forced to play their third guy, Kevin Kincaid, getting two starts and receding for a win, but allowing eight goals against. Uh, offensively, Capocacco uh, got off the mat and scored two goals. He's been a little quiet in the last little while. Blackwell is a guy that's figured into the offense more regularly than him, picked up two more goals himself. Uh, so while the 
rebuild is going well for this team. I don't see a path for them to the playoffs. Still, there's plenty to get excited about, though. After a sluggish start, Mika Zabinijad is on a tear with 16 points in his last seven games. That included two six-point efforts against Philadelphia, but everybody's scoring a ton against the Flyers of late, aren't they? Uh, Artemi Panarin has 11 points in nine games since his return, so he's hit the ice running as we expected one of the league's elite players to do so. Shesterkin uh, had a nice return from the, his IR absence last week, getting in two starts with a total of five goals against. Consider that he faced a barrage of 81 shots over those two games, stopping 76 of them. So good for him, looking good in his return, as we said. They still have to be a little bit uh, concerned, though, with the low production from youngsters. Heedle, Lafreniere, and Kako, none of these guys who were all highly regarded, is really filling the net with any degree of regularity. You wonder if it's just a slow learning curve for them, but uh, I think the, the Rangers show uh, a lot of patience. They'll be rewarded because uh, I like the way the rebuild is going here, as I said, and there's really no pressure on them to, to be an outstanding club this season. The fans know that this rebuild will take time, and they've shown some great strides uh, in uh, the past season. When I think shipping out Lemieux uh, is is an indication that this week at some point we're going to see Vitaly Kratsov get into a game after making the the journey from overseas. He's uh, cleared protocol, started skating, and and I think this is going to be the week that we get a look at him for the first time in the NHL. And and I think the the decision to to ship out Lemieux is indicative of that. In Ottawa, they continue to scrape the bottom of the barrel there. Uh, in in the the North Division. In fact, Paul, I think uh, on our on our notes here, I think you listed them eighth in the North Division. They're so <laughs> bad that Paul uh, put them in eighth spot. <laughs> um, you know, they they've had uh, tons of problems in terms of net mining. They they do have Marcus Hogberg back and available. They've been using Philip Gustafson. Matt Murray was able to practice yesterday, so it's certainly possible that we get a look at him. After uh, his uh, looks like about uh, seven game absence uh, with his injury. So that would certainly bolster a club. But overall, um, there's not much to get excited about here. You've got uh, Austin Watson had had hand surgery. You imagine he'll be done for most of the year. Now, he did say in a press conference yesterday that uh, he's going to try and come back. Uh, in late April and, and make a return. But why put why put this guy at risk if there's any concern about re-injuring that hand, especially when you consider that they had to put pins in there and, and all kind of, you know, anytime you're putting hardware in, I just don't see a reason to throw this guy back in for a couple meaningless games at the end of end of April and, and start of May. It just doesn't make sense to me. You know what? I've dissected things in the North Division a lot differently more differently than you having more of an interest myself obviously you throw out the seven games where Edmonton has just stomped on Ottawa they've kept things tight against most other teams in this division for most of the season AJ they did go on a, on a stretch where they didn't lose a game in regulation for five straight starts so things are not as dire and dreadful as you're making them out to be. Certainly the goaltending situation has been in flux. Murray has been in and out of the lineup. They spent a lot of money to get him, but uh, 
they've had a revolving door in the nets and they've they've managed quite nicely of late to make life miserable for some of the contending teams in that division. They're certainly looking a lot better than the next team I'll profile, and that's the Philadelphia Flyers, who are fifth in the East, but fading fast. They were 1-2-1 and one last week. They did snap uh, out of it a little bit with an overtime win against the lowly Sabres we mentioned last night. Uh, Brian Elliott... Uh, Brian Elliott carrying the load in the Nets. Three game starts, one win, and six goals against. So he's doing his part, but this team's not going to go far if he's the guy that's going to carry the mail from the, from the Nets, AJ. Uh, Sean Couturier looking fully healthy uh, again. Three goals, two assists to lead the attack with Jacob Voracek. On defense, Shane Gostas-Bear with three assists, starting to find his offensive game with some degree of regularity. But I have to try and answer a burning question here. What the hell is wrong with Carter Hart, AJ? He's been pulled from no fewer than four of his last eight starts and already been declared out of their next two games, including last night, to get his game in order and missing a chance for a possible win by playing the Buffalo Sabres this week. But until he gets himself sorted out, this team is in trouble. That's all I can say. We can point to a solid group of forwards that are still producing or a young defense that has an offensive upside in players like Provorov, Gostasbear, and Gustafsson. Elliott, while handling the load recently, I said he's having a decent year overall, but is not a goalie I trust for a long playoff run. It's fixed Carter Harder bust in Philadelphia for me. I absolutely agree with that take. You know, I, I like Brian Elliott. I, I think he uh, is a very capable number two netminder, but he's he's not a guy that I would want to turn to every single night uh, as as my starter. And I do think as part of that, uh, and maybe even as a way to maybe shop him uh, in the future, I, I think we might get a look at Alex Lyon uh, finally here for, for a game or two. I, you know, you look at overall, um, you know, last season he played in three games, two games a year before. So they really haven't gotten a good chance, at least not since 2017, to see him play a handful of games and, and perhaps more importantly for this club to let other teams get a good look at, at what he can do. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if they put him out there for a couple games, uh, if only just to give Brian Elliott some rest. Uh, in Pittsburgh, it was a, a solid week for them. Three wins. They're, they find themselves third in the East. Uh, they did pick up another win last night, but we do have to talk about a little bit of a concern in that one. Tristan Jari did not come back out after the first period last night. Uh, and, and what the team is calling an upper body injury. Casey DeSmith came in as the, the number two guy uh, and, and performed admirably. Gave up, gave up just one goal against the Islanders last night to secure the win. I would have to look, Paul. It has to be one of the fewest shots faced by a netminder who got the win because the game was 2 nothing when Jari left after the first period. He is the goalie of record and gets the win with five saves on five shots faced uh, in that first period. But uh, it's certainly, you know, DeSmith has been playing really well this season, um, but having Jari injured has to be a concern, and this team – really has been kind of snake bitten by injuries. They got a boost last night with Jason Zucker coming back. Uh, he off the IR played last night, didn't offer much in terms of fantasy value, one shot on goal, but you have to imagine they're going to work him up more and more. He figures to take on a second line role for the Penguins, but they are still without Malkin, Bluger, Kapanen, and Tanev in terms of the forward ranks. So there are some, concerns there but they have been rolling with Gensel Crosby and Rust and being uh, really a one-line team which is not something that I think we've said 
uh, about, you know, the, the Penguins really ever. I, I don't know of a time when they've been considered a one-line team. Maybe you can dig back into the annals of your memory, Paul, and find a time where you would classify Pittsburgh as a one-line club. No, it's been a long, long time, like you said. I mean, uh, looking back at the annals, they've had a good run of, of offensive stars in, in your favorite hockey team's uh, lore. Uh, one guy that they've made great use of, though, is Jared McCann. They just slide him into Malkin's role. Malkin is out on the LTIR, so they're saving some money, but they'd rather have the big man in there, no question. But he's out for at least a couple more weeks, it seems. And in the meantime, McCann will be centering Jason Zucker and Evan Rodriguez. I still think Rodriguez is miscast as a scoring line player. And maybe Anthony Angelo's recent uh, good play will get him a look in that role but, uh, but uh, Kasperi Kapanen out as well. This team is really challenged to field their best uh, offense without those guys. And uh, kudos to them, though, for having a good run of late. You mentioned they went 3-0 and last week. So uh, good on the Penguins. And it looks like our dollar, bet, dollar bet's coming right down to the wire. One point separating the clubs. My team was way ahead at one point. But kudos to yours for closing that gap and then some. San Jose Sharks ranked seventh in the Western Conference. AJ, they went 2-2 two and two last week. Marty Jones uh, started three of those games, picked up two wins. They did win in a shootout last night uh, as well to improve their record, but still on the outside looking in. Kevin LeBanc is a guy I want to note once again. Two or more assists to his record over the four games, ranking for me as an interesting DFS option, playing right-wing minutes here in the top six role. I'm also seeing some growth in Mario Ferraro's game. Uh, we haven't talked about him much at all. He's a local product here from around Richmond Hill in Toronto, the area uh, that I know a little bit about because he's a cousin of one of my son's buddies. Uh, two assists last week, 12 points in 33 games. The major benefit for him, he gets to play alongside Brent Burns, one of the best offensive defensemen in, in uh, the last 10 years, I'll say. So good for him for taking advantage of uh, that learning on the fly. Thomas Hurdle is a guy who's holding down the second line uh, center role in uh, in San Jose after coming off the injury list. He's been very good and very productive with nine points in 10 games since returning to the lineup. He's challenged to keep up that pace now as it looks like unproductive wingers, Rudy Balsers and John Leonard, line up on his wings. Neither one of those guys has done much of late, so it'll be tough for Hurdle to carry on his recent run, and we'll see how he makes out. Marty Jones, I mentioned, his hot streak of only five goals against in four games played, ended with a five spot in his last start on Friday, so you wonder if he bounces back from that and puts together another streak or reverts to his form of basically three-plus goals against per game. Uh, for me, I would uh, expect Marty Jones to revert here. I, you know, I have been a longtime fan of his. I, I seem to have drafted him every year leading up to about a season or two ago, and I, I just finally had had enough of him <laughs> burning my my teams here. So, uh, from my standpoint, I, I'm expecting maybe a, a bit of a regression there. In St. Louis, this week was a bit of a regression as they went 0 and 3, and really have been struggling. Have dropped to fourth in the West. Uh, offensively, not a ton to show for the last week. Tarasenko with three points. Brian O'Reilly, uh, two goals. Tori Krug with two assists. We look further down the lineup. You've got Schwartz uh, with one goal. Robert Thomas, no goals. Uh, Braden Shen is pointless. I mean, there, there's a couple of guys here that you really count on for a lot more than what they're giving you. And, and you know, I hate to, you know, drop blame on, on any one guy, but Jordan Bennington has been uh, pretty bad 
honestly, since he signed uh, that new contract. There has to be a couple guys uh, in the front office maybe using some four-letter words of late. They give him the big deal on March 11th. Since then, one, four, and two in seven games, a 2.99 goals against average. Uh, I'm sure there's some maybe immediate buyer's remorse on that one, um, but I, you know, hopefully he can rebound and and turn it around. But overall, it has been what I would call a pretty disappointing season for him. A guy that had 24 wins in his rookie year, 30 last season. He's only got 10 right now. Uh, and it's looking like 20 is probably a long shot for him at, at this point with the way he's been playing of late. Over in Tampa, it's business as usual. They did have a bit of a losing week, though, one and two overall. Uh, Yanni Ruta led the attack with two assists. Braden Point was pointless last week. How did I get that in there? Three games, no points for a guy who is a consistent producer. Point and pointless, though. I had to put that in, AJ. Anthony Sorelli's offensive game continues to grow, however. Uh, back at center on the second line, uh, this guy is more noted for his defensive play, but suddenly this season he can point to 21 points in 28 games on pace for his best offensive numbers in terms of point per game. And just uh, another of those long list of forwards that I can talk about who first developed their defensive game before showing off their offensive side you can add Sorelli to the list and uh, he just adds another great piece to the Tampa mix Andre Palaps another guy with the same profile I guess you can say he's quietly enjoying a very productive season I still find him underpriced in DFS as uh, even though he's a left wing on the top line over here. Similarly, on the blue line, Mikhail Sergachev is more engaged with the offense than ever before and has a career-best points per game going for himself this season, too. So I've said it many times, the rich are getting richer here in Tampa. Well, things are not going well in Toronto, uh, at least in the net mining situation. They did go 2-0 and last week. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk picked up two assists, which is certainly uh, a good sign for him. But you have to be concerned about the fact that Jack Campbell is now uh, back uh, injured after not playing last night. Now, it sounds like they're just maybe managing his his reps in terms of that lower body injury. Um, But it's a concern when you talk about the fact that he hasn't practiced for for the last couple of days either. And that's on top of Freddie Anderson being hurt. Uh, Look, Paul, I I don't want to wish ill on your team or, or, or anything, but... If they don't have Freddie Anderson and if they don't have Jack Campbell at 100%, uh, I don't know how well things are going to go for you with Michael Hutchinson manning the crease here. Uh, Maybe you're seeing something different out of him, but I don't think that's a recipe for success, in in my opinion. No, I agree with you. There's been a lot of concern in this corner expressed about Hutchinson's play. He's had a winning record, though, this season, and the goals against is well under three, so maybe it's... it's, uh... It's a long-term bias. Not I can't say recency bias because recency is looking better than uh, better than he had in the past. I just don't have the faith in him, as you su- suggested. In fact, I think if they don't get Anderson right, this team's fortunes in the playoffs are really going to be in question because I don't even know how much faith I can put in Jack Campbell. You said yourself he's had a lot of trouble stringing in multiple games together, and I do think they're managing his time until he gets a little more strength uh, overall back into his system offensively though the best news of all Austin Matthews is looking like that wrist is almost healed he snapped a beauty into the roof of the net last night from close range that made me think boy he wasn't able to do that a couple of weeks ago so that's positive positive. and John Tavares we haven't talked about him 
too much in terms of offensive production, but he's almost a point-of-game player still uh, this season and developed a really strong two-way, well, developed. He's been a strong two-way center most of his career, but he's playing really, really well at both ends of the ice, and the plus-minus is reflecting in that. And some stability with Willie Nylander as a more consistent effort in his game has helped both of them in that second scoring line. And no wonder Galchenyuk is looking good. He gets to ride shotgun with these guys who are firing right now. Wayne Simmons returned to the group uh, to strengthen the forward complement, and I like the fact that his toughness is back in the lineup. They need that in a big way. It also affords them the opportunity to move Joe Thornton off of a top six role. I think that experiment is dead, and uh, we'll have to wait and see if uh, Campbell can take on two or three games more in a row until Freddie might be back in the fold. I'll slide into a talk of the Vancouver Canucks, AJ, as I went at, at length with the Maple Leafs and to stay in order here. The Canucks went 0-2 last week. They're mired in sixth place in the North Division. They played a few more games in Montreal, so I think chasing down that fourth spot is looking like a uh, dim possibility at the moment. They've suffered a pair of demoralizing one-sided losses to Winnipeg to make that climb even harder, uh, I think. Thatcher Denko, who's been heroic in the Nets for them, stumbled in those games, allowing four spots in each of the outings. So that wasn't very good news from a guy who looked to be their MVP season to date. He's still a lock as the number one guy here, though, going forward. Any chance they have will can reside with him as he started all but one of the last 11 games, making Braden Holtby a uh, uh, an interested participant from the bench most of the time. The most positive aspect of Elias Pettersson's absence, which continues this week, is that J.T. Miller has been consistent and productive since being installed as a scoring line center partner, and uh, that's very good news for the club here. And Quinn Hughes, while he's still among the league-leading scorers on defense, I'll continue to look at other aspects of his game. He's only produced two power play assists in his last 11 starts, and that's hurt the Canucks' chances as well. I'm really surprised at the utilization of Braden Holpe, or, or rather lack thereof. I mean, you look at the month of March, he's, he played in two games. I, I mean, I know they weren't great, four goals allowed in each of them. I mean, this is a Stanley Cup winning guy who has logged, you know, 50, 60. In, in one season, he played in 73 games. Like, clearly, this is a guy who I think thrives on playing every single night. And while I don't think he came to Vancouver expecting to be the every night guy, I certainly don't think he expected to play twice in a month. I mean, I think it's, it's really surprising to me how heavily they've been going with Thatcher Demko. I know you need to see if he's your guy for the future, if he can be a, a workhorse netminder for you, but why are you just letting a guy like Braden Hopi with his pedigree, just toil away on the bench? It, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And honestly, I, if I were, uh, a Vancouver fan, my assumption would be that we just, uh, when Pedersen got hurt, that we just said, ah, we're done this year. We'll see what we have in Demko. We'll let Hopi be, uh, you know, potential uh, Seattle pick bait, and, and we'll just look ahead to next season because there's there's no reason, in my opinion, that, that they should only use Brian Hopi in two games over that stretch. In Vegas, they've been going with a much more even split between their netminders as Marc-Andre Fleury got two starts last week, one uh, win and one loss for him. Robin Leonard got the other start, and, and Leonard performed uh, a little bit better in those opportunities, a .938 save percentage with just one goal allowed. Now, granted, uh, uh, he had a stout defense in front of him in that game. He only faced, faced 16 shots, so pretty good for him. Uh, and so this team... 
I think is going to continue to just use its, its two-headed monster to the best of its ability and, and go from there. I think the interesting thing for me is going to be who is the starting netminder come uh, the postseason. And, and they probably – I would be shocked if they had an answer to that right now. I mean, you talk – you know, you look at the numbers overall in the year. Marc-Andre Fleury has 17 wins. He's right there at the, the top behind you know, Vasilevsky and Grubauer. Both have 21 wins. Uh, and Flurry tied for third uh, in that stretch, so I, I, I certainly think that favors him. But you do have to consider that Leonard was hurt for a, a good stretch of that. So I, I would be really shocked if they knew right now if you if you had to pin them down who their day one starting goalie would be. I, I'm not sure they have an answer to that, Paul. What what do you? Well, I I think that see, the, who would you start? We know I, we know who I would start. Yeah, with. and I'm going to agree with you, AJ. I think Mark Mark Andre Fleury has proven to be very durable in the in the absence of Robin Leonard's steady availability. He's only had seven decisions on the season year to date, so you have to defer to the guy who's who's got you there. If in fact, uh, and so that's a feather in Fleury's cap, but it's a nice problem for them to have because obviously it's a one and one A here. These are both excellent goalies with very good peripheral numbers in terms of goals against and save percentage. So there's no bad answer, but based on on the level of play and the the amount of play, I think Flurry gets a nod for me. Uh, in terms of the next club, we're looking at the Washington Capitals, the class of the Eastern Division. Uh, look, I thought they would be, and they're proving me right uh, with my prognostication at the beginning of the season. I think you were in agreement, AJ, if memory serves. But uh, they are three and zero on on last week, and still ticking and bopping right along. Schultz on the back end with three assists, Orloff on the back end with three three points. Uh, getting production from guys from the back end other than John Carlson is just a bonus for this club because we know it's all about the attack. Uh, they have two solid scoring lines here, and Ovechkin is on another scoring tear, folks. All of a sudden, 10 goals in his last nine starts and only five off the league leadership uh, again for a guy who I would love to see him take a run at Gretzky's all-time record, but I think events are conspiring against him with, with the condensed season here and uh, injuries in the past that have dogged him. And uh, uh, tough for, it's tougher to score in the NHL right now than ever, and yet he's doing it at a rate that we haven't seen since number 99. Of note, Evgeny Kuznetsov is riding shotgun with the team captain, and that's enough to make him a must-start in DFS play whenever the Caps are playing, in my opinion. So keep an eye on that possibility going forward. Uh, I'm not going to test it tonight, though, because of the matchup. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, in other notes for this club, Daniel Sprong has been getting more looks at right wing on the top line. But I caution against his use in DFS play because he still only exceeded 12 minutes per game once in his last five starts. As long as that continues, I, even though he's playing with Kuznetsov and, and Ovechkin, it's not enough ice time. As I hinted last week, Connor Sheary is now uh, a top six choice on uh, the forward ranks over Jakob Vrana. Vrana has struggled of late and finally ceded some playing time to Sheary. And uh, that'll be back, a back and forth situation of who's hot and who's not. And right now, Sheary is the hotter of the two. Well, I think the important thing to remember in regard to both Sherry and Sprong is that they're getting those opportunities because Lars Eller is out and they're using TJ Oshie as their third line center. I think the minute that Eller becomes available, Oshie moves back to the wing and, and one of those guys is going to find himself on the outside looking in, in terms of, of, of top six assignment there. So really one to watch, you know, Eller Continues to kind of be labeled day-to-day, but he's missed seven games at this point. 
Um, so, you know, no real indication, uh, at least that I've seen as to when he might be back and ready to go. Um, but uh, certainly one to watch because it will shuffle up the opportunities for those wingers in Winnipeg. Uh, they have gotten through on the heels of a, a great week by Connor Hellybuck. They went three and one Hellybuck posted a point nine, six, six save percentage in those three games, gave up just three goals on 88 shots. Their lone loss coming uh, at the hands of Laurent Brossois in between the pipes. I think the concern for me is when you look at the top scores over the last week, while it's great to see Andrew Kopp getting six points in four games, uh, he's not the guy you want leading the way. Uh, you know, you want the top name there to be, you know, Shifley, Wheeler, or, or Kyle Connor, in, in all honesty. And then the other, obviously, can, bigger concern is Pierre-Luc Dubois, one assist in those four games. That's certainly not enough production out of him. So it, it seems to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a rotating thing. They haven't figured out how to have Paul Stastny and Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, producing at the same time. Uh, Stastny, two goals, two assists in their last four. Uh, that, that's going to be something that they need to figure out because they have to get production out of both guys. It can't be this one or the other that it's been so far since since PLD joined the team. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I, I thought he was going to be a bigger part of the offense here than he's shown. Maybe it's just a, going through a long adjustment period, so we'll cut him a mulligan, and really his evaluation will take place in the playoffs because this team is looking like, offensively at least, that they have the depth to compete with the Oilers and the Leafs for the top spot. And uh, overall structure, uh, backed by Hallibuck, that's a real nice ace in the hole. Uh, I think that puts them uh, at least ahead of all the other teams in the division in terms of a goalie matchup. Still looking to me like the class of this division, at least in terms of the net mining situation. A credit to the to the club because their their defensive six pack is not very inspiring. Other than Morrissey and Pionk, you'd be hard pressed to, to consider any of the other guys a viable option to make the top four of any of the other top teams in this division so a credit to the core players in the top two forward lines and the goaltender here in Winnipeg to make them a real force that challenges for the top of this division before it's all said and done in my opinion well we swing right into a DFS segment where I have had the most fun I've ever had in in fantasy uh, playing FanDuel regularly and I know you look after the DraftKings portion AJ there's a couple of interesting matchups tonight on the slate as there are every there is every night on the schedule it seems this season with the number of games that are being played every day so why don't we take a look at the the value plays and the way we would construct our lineups i'll defer to you and tell me what the landscape you see is like on the DraftKings side of the board well for me i am going to use a lineup tonight that is either going to uh, win me uh, towards the top or it is going to flame out spectacularly. <laughs> and the reason for that is that I am going to stack the New Jersey Devils against the Boston Bruins tonight. We talked about the number of guys that have been missing, the fact that New Jersey is not an easy out. And for me, that starts with using Mackenzie Blackwood between the pipes. Uh, I think I will stick with this plan even if they go with Scott Wedgwood instead. Um, but if you look at Blackwood's career history against the Boston Bruins, it's a little limited, just eight games, but he's five, two and one in those matchups with a point uh, nine, four, three save percentage, which is one of the highest 
I think it comes in about a fourth or fifth highest against any team uh, that he's faced. Again, it's a, it's not a huge sample size, but Blackwood has performed really well. And he comes in at just 7,400 uh, in terms of the goaltending. He's going to be one of the cheapest options available tonight. The rest of my stack from New Jersey comes together again, pretty cheaply in terms of yes, for Brat, who's 3,700 and Kyle Palmieri, 4,500. They're playing together on a line. And uh, I think are worth uh, stacking together there. And then we talked about Ty Smith uh, being red hot right now. He's still underpriced on DraftKings at 3,300. So he rounds out my four player stack here. Obviously I have spent no money getting these guys into the lineup. Um, understandably so. And so on the flip side, I am going to pay out huge for the dynamic duo at the top of the league. And that's Connor McDavid at 9,200 and Leon Dreisaitl at 8,600. The matchup isn't one of the better ones that would be available for them, uh, you know, in terms of playing Montreal tonight on the road. But look, these guys have figured out how to, you know, play and produce every single night. I really don't care if Edmonton wins or not against Montreal. I just want those two guys to produce. Uh, And then a couple of Florida Panthers. I like the matchup here uh, for them tonight going up against Detroit. So I've got Alex Wenberg at 3,900 and Owen Tippett at 2,900. That leaves me one spot available left on my D and I went with Adam Fox. He's got 11 points uh, in the last week. $6,500 is a big price. Um, But again, I saved a ton of money using the New Jersey guys here. I will tweet this lineup out in case it was a little bit confusing as, as to who I used based on on how I said that, but to give you just a quick roundup, McDavid Wenberg at center, Brett Dreisaitl Palmieri on the wing, Fox and Smith on D, Blackwood between the pipes, and then Owen Tippett as my utility guy here. Like I said, this one's going to either pay out big or flame out spectacularly if Boston comes out to play tonight. Well, you go big or go home. Isn't that what they say, partner? Absolutely. All right. Well, on the flip side, I went a more conventional route with a couple of pairs of players in very small stacks. We call them mini stacks, if you will. But uh, I, and I flipped on the decision based on my own notes uh, during the show, and I went with Evgeny Kuznetsov as one of my centers on the basis of of uh, the hot streak by. Uh, Alex Ovechkin I want to at least make sure I get his sidekick in there Ovechkin's a little too too expensive for most people but I managed to fit him into this lineup so I'll get to the wingers in a sec but Pavelski rounds out my compliment in the middle of the ice the average is almost 15 points a game this is a must win for Dallas as they venture into Nashville and I think he gives the the visitors a big edge down the middle of the ice because we've talked about the the troubles that Nashville's had at center. I think Pavelski takes advantage of that to lead Dallas to a very big victory for themselves. Jason Robertson is a guy that's been on a prolonged hot streak. I mentioned him in the notes for the club as well, and he's formed a nice partnership with Pavelski, so that's a a pretty good one-two punch there. So I've got Kuznetsov and Ovechkin, Pavelski and Robertson leading my offense. Martin Netzkatch has been on an extended positive run in Carolina and still considered undervalued at $5,200, so I'll take him all day long at that price. I mentioned Ovechkin. He's priced in at $8,600 in a matchup against the Rangers. I expect that could be a real shootout, and Ovi's string continues, a string of offensive play. Andre Palat's a guy that I talked about in terms of being undervalued. $6,000, the price tag is starting to climb a little bit, but still 
too attractive for me to pass up, and I'll throw him into the mix as my my unicorn on the uh, in terms of the offense here, a guy that's not partnered with anybody per se. Then on the blue line, I picked two linchpins of their respective clubs, considering Charlie McAvoy for the Boston Bruins in a key game against the Devils. The Devils have given the Bruins fits, but McAvoy, I think, has been a very consistent scorer, and they've leaned on him more with the injuries and the COVID protocol issues that they've been having of late, and he's responded. And the other guy that I put in is uh, 1B on uh, the Tampa depth chart. That's behind Hedman, but everybody else in the league would be behind Hedman, no matter who the defenseman is, in my opinion. Mikhail Sergachev is that man. He's been on a very good streak of late, having a career season, as I pointed out in the regular part of the show, and facing a Columbus team that's in a little bit of disarray. I think he and Palat are poised to take advantage of that for a mini Tampa stack, if you will. At the back of all of this, a guy that I've been maligned for the last couple of seasons since he joined the Florida Panthers with a big contract is Sergei Bobrovsky, but he's been playing better of late, and he gets a tasty matchup against the Wings, who have been struggling, as we pointed out. They're not uh, ninth in their division. I put them in it as eighth, so at least I got that one right, AJ, and I priced him in at $7,900. Any sub-$8,000 goalie against the visiting Detroit Red Wings is a guy that you have to strongly consider, and that's my case for putting him in the nets. So, AJ, what do you got to look forward to in the next week or so in terms of NHL play? I know the Penguins have possibly even surprised you with the fact that they're third in their division and maybe with an upward mobility, I think, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's going to be the, the number one thing that I, I key in on here. And honestly, I've been taking in a, a little bit, much like you, Paul, watching, you know, kind of the rest of the division, trying to take in those those games because, look, we have five clubs in the East that are all playoff caliber teams and somebody's going to miss out right now it's Philadelphia. And you have to consider the fact that, uh, you know, they've got, you know, they're 10 points back of Pittsburgh and Boston's got three games in hand over them uh, and a one point lead. So it's not looking good for the flyers right now. Uh, and so, but I have been tuning in and watching the rest of those. I do also have a, a games win bet with, uh, with somebody on the Penguins Buffalo side, um, I need the the Penguins to win two more games out of the eight, and I will be getting a, a free lunch. So I'll be watching <laughs> those games with added uh, added uh, intensity as well. Well, I think you can put that in the bank, AJ. The way the Sabers have been floundering, who did you sucker for that one? That that was that's a great call <laughs> by you. Anyway, that wraps up our look around the league on this episode of podcast with Statsman and AJ. It's RotoWire's signature fantasy hockey pod with the support of our sponsor at Owners Box. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno at Statsman twenty two, and you can follow AJ at AJ Scholes twenty four. As always, we invite you to listen to the podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy. Hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.